Last podcast for the year, and it's a strong finish, with Nathan Long of Hargreaves Lansdowne and Michael Lawrence of Beauville talking through with me the FCA's proposals for closing the advice gap. It's a longish recording at just over an hour, so grab a mince pie and a brandy, unless you're driving, and enjoy the show. So, it was the night before Christmas, and all through the industry, not a creature was stirring apart from three policy nerds talking about the advice guidance boundary review. Welcome, Nathan and Michael. Good morning. Good morning. Really delighted to, to pick this up again before Christmas. Probably no one's going to listen to it before Christmas, but it'll be there for when they come back in the new year. And it was a big deal, I think. So we'll dig into it in a bit more detail in a moment. Uh, the FCA came out with their follow-up paper on the Advice Guidance Boundary Review. It's not the end of the story, though, by any means, as we'll discuss and I guess, you know, the starting point is the problem hasn't gone away and the FCA very helpfully list out a whole raft of ways in which people aren't getting the help they need and they're making poor decisions and outcomes are being jeopardised. So the context they set out is we have a problem and we need to fix it. And they made three principal suggestions on how they're going to address that. And Michael, you've talked about this, about you wrote a really helpful piece on this available on the Beauville website where you talked about this being the end of the status quo. So just before we dig into the detail, what were you pleased with the paper? Do you think it was good? I think the kind of intent is good. What I think is clear for me is that there's a kind of bold kind of vision here to address that status quo, to make changes I mean, that's going to be easier said than done. But, you know, I think at least now we're not seeing the FCA quibbling around the existence of an advice gap. You know, we're not seeing, you know, a a pure focus on simplified advice being the answer. So we've got, you know, a degree, a significant degree of movement from where we were. I think when we get into it, you know, the devil as ever on this is in the detail. And I think you know, making all of this work will be kind of challenging. But, you know, it's definitely two or three steps in the right direction. You'd agree with that, Nathan? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I I think for a long time, it's been quite clear that the FCA and Treasury have sort of realised there's unfinished business in this area. And I think they've realised that something has to happen. So, I mean, I wasn't really surprised to see them come out with quite a strong paper recognising the... The detriment, I think we were just incredibly positive about the this idea of targeted support, which is one of the three, as you say, three sort of areas that they've looked at. And I just think this, this could be, and in conversations I've had with many who've been looking at this for many years, the word game-changing has come up repeatedly. So I think there's just a huge amount of optimism that we can if this comes through and if the rules fi- are finalised in the way that many hope they will be, that you will actually be able to get the help to people who are struggling just to try and make the right decisions with their personal finances. Yeah, I, I sort of agree with that. I'm also, as I was listening to you then, I was thinking, yeah, I remember saying the same thing in 2015 when they published the Pharma Review, and that didn't take us very far. You also made a, a, a really good point there. You mentioned the Treasury. This was I mean, it was an FCA publication, but the Treasury's fingerprints were all over it. And I thought that was interesting. You know, Bim Bim Afalami sort of wrote an intro for the the paper and it was part of the press release. You know, the the Treasury kind of wants to own this as much as the FCA does, don't they? Yeah, completely. I mean, you're right. I mean, it's, I come at this from an optimistic perspective and it's still, the rules could not 
be finalised in in a way that actually does facilitate quite as much as as we'd hope at this point. That's definitely possible. It's basically a little bit like watching Man City. The ball's been passed around all over. The, the all the great work's done to set it up to this point, and we just need to sort of finish it off in the right way now. But but I think generally there's a lot of optimism optimism in the whole of the industry. I've never break. heard um, yeah. the FCA referred to as Haaland before. Oh yeah. yeah, I was just thinking we need a large Norwegian at this point. <laughs> I don't have the FCA got a Norwegian. Yeah, I mean, go back to what you were saying, Tom, about the Treasury's kind of input to this. I mean, you know, some quite punchy language in there, which I think, you know, the industry should be, you know, welcoming of accelerate proposals, although maybe we'll come back to timeline in a bit. You know, fundamental legislative and regulatory reform, you know, dynamic, competitive and innovative retail market. There's lots of grandstanding going on there about where this has got to get to or where they'd like it to get to which I think it must be good. So I think there's a kind of shared vision of change. And I think it's about putting down the kind of pieces of the puzzle to, to get us there. So first piece of the puzzle was further clarifying the boundary, uh, which they describe as exploring whether further guidance or simplifying existing perimeter guidance would enable FCA authorised firms to provide consumers with greater level of support by operating closer to the boundary. Or as kind of I interpreted that, just saying the same thing louder and slower, uh, you know, like a British tourist on holiday so what was your take on this i mean either of you picked this up you know is this is this going to help so if i just come up on on that one first i think michael's probably got some really useful bits to say but from my from my perspective this doesn't really help the firms that are already trying to innovate in this area because they've already kind of explored this boundary as much as they possibly can but i'm always struck from conversations that i have that there are firms who almost don't want to innovate in, or they want to innovate, but they don't want to take any risk whatsoever. And so as a result, they want things to be absolutely spelled out of, you're absolutely fine to sort of do this, or the guidance is, if you do this, we believe that this is within the scope of the rules. So it's about looking at who does this benefit. And there will be firms who lack, currently lack the risk appetite to, to deliver in this space, whether that's right or wrong, because obviously there's the consumer duty now to bear in mind, but who some further clarification may well be helpful. But I'm always struck whenever I speak to Michael about this, he always talks about how increasing levels of guidance actually can be a hindrance. So I don't, Michael, I don't know if you wanted to come in on that point. Sure, I think you've kind of hit most of the nail on the head there, Nathan. I mean, I've looked at this a lot when I was at the FCA, and if we imagine the kind of boundary as a kind of, physical you know point on the map you know there are firms who are right up against it and i think your characterization for those firms will restating things make any difference marginal best they're already there they're already pushing the existing regulatory framework as far as they can go so for them restating the same stuff slightly differently it won't make a difference but i'd say they're often a minority particularly within you know, the large firms in the market. So the kind of big banks, big insurers, you know, lots of compliance resource all over this. And many of those firms, you know, because of their kind of risk appetite, do stop a fair distance short of that boundary. And then it's the consumer that pays the price in terms of the lack of support that they're getting. So, you know, there's a kind of angularity what you, what you hear from firms in this space if you talk to me is this okay is that okay you'll get you know 
almost seven different answers from eight or nine different people. It just can't be right. And so, you know, I think sorting this out, although we'll come back to the task of sorting and whether it's doable, you know, should be helpful for some, but it won't move the dial massively. And it'll be more impactful for firms who are already supporting existing customers, I think, and for whom they might feel emboldened to do a little bit more. But just on that point, Michael, and I think this is really, really important in this whole debate, it's innovation within the big incumbents with lots of clients, which is really going to shift the financial resilience of the nation. And that doesn't mean that we should not encourage innovation amongst small firms who can act more nimbly at all. But that's the real value add for society at large. If you can get drive innovation and confidence to do this within some of the firms who are already supporting customers, that's a big, big win. And I think we need I agree. to just yeah. I agree. I think uh, the ABI published some really interesting research in the last week or two, looking at how different forms of personalised guidance on accessing money from a pension can drive different customer outputs. And I'm probably badly summarising this, but basically in these treatments, as you become increasingly personalised and, and pointy at what the customer should think about or should consider doing, the outcomes improve. Now, I'd say, you know, looking at this, that you could probably do a good deal of that already under the existing framework. So in this regard, you know, if the FCA were able to kind of, you know, sprinkle a bit of kind of perg glitter over this and, and help firms t- to do some things better, that, that'll be really impactful. And like you say, you know, if that's the big incumbent firms, lots of customers who can feel ready, willing, able to do a bit more, that'll be great. I think many of the smaller firms are already innovating in this space, but you're right to say that their reach sometimes is more limited. Some of the examples they give, warning someone in the cash that uh, about inflation or platform provider contacting an investor who holds most of their portfolio in equity-based funds to highlight volatility or warning someone that they uh, they might run down their pot in retirement because of their withdrawal rates. And, that, you know, that looks like information and helpful guidance to me. You know, so I, I think if, if firms are emboldened to do more of that, that certainly looks like a good thing. But it's it feels like some of those examples and some of the way you were talking, both talking about this then, starts to blend into their second proposal around the targeted support, which is like what we just talked about, but a bit more so. And they describe that, and I think this was probably the more exciting bit, and I mean, the one we now refer to as the Hargreaves Lansdowne reform to help Hargreaves Lansdowne flog more stuff. They describe as a, a new regulatory framework that enables firms to use limited information to suggest products or courses of action. The suggestion to the consumer would be appropriate to a person in similar circumstances <clears throat> and could result in a firm suggesting options to the consumer on the basis of people like you. So I hadn't thought about it in this way until you guys were just talking about it, but actually the, the, the first reform, you know, the clarifying the boundary and the second reform, the targeted support, kind of blend into each other, don't they? No, but anyway, they do. that's they, my they thought. Do talk do. about that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll say a couple of points and then I'll let Nathan maybe jump to his firm's uh, defence if he sees fit. I mean, you, you're right. So on, you know, clarifying the boundary, let, let's say you can you can do that. And as I said, it's really hard. Lots of attempts have been made before, but there are some kind of common, you know, misnomers out there about what you can and can't do. If they could fix some of those, great. And maybe then you can be more personalised in helping people think about the key dimensions of the decision they're about to make. 
but the issue you've still got in that space is they then say, brilliant, you, you've helped me to think about whether this fund that I'm in is right or wrong. So what should I be in? And we know then that firms can't suddenly be pointy at a solution because they get near to a personal recommendation. And, and so in a way, you know, whilst you can clarify the boundary, you can help firms prompt customers to do more. I'm not saying it does, but it might end up exposing some of the fault lines about what they can and can't do next, which is why, getting around to your point, Tom, targeted support is a kind of natural kind of bedfellow to this. I mean, I don't think the two have to come together, but I think the key point is then it allows you to uh, suggest outcomes to customers. And I think it's a really interesting proposal because it's the inputs to it are kind of personalised. It's about collecting limited data but then the outputs are kind of quasi personalized because it's kind of suggesting something which is right not necessarily for you but for people like you and I think that's like a really interesting thing to me I haven't got my head around all the permutation different I mean don't get me wrong what I should say up front is I think this is the most innovative of the solutions I think it's the one that has the capacity to be the most impactful and helpful so I'm really excited about it but I just wonder and worry a little bit that, you know, when, you know, the FCA gets down to kind of legislative for this within the rules, you know, how do you make it kind of viable? How do you manage the trade-offs? But I mean, that's a good point to hand over to uh, to Nathan, who I think, you know, is already a kind of confirmed fanboy of this uh, solution, aren't you, Nathan? <laughs> I am. I am. But I'd say, you know, this is, uh, Hargreaves and Sun are very supportive, but I know from speaking to others in the industry that they also share yeah. share optimism in this approach and I think the reason being is it's kind of leans into all the behavioral things that we know get in the way at the moment so under the consumer duty we are we have to work out who our products are right for we have to identify those target audiences I've been describing this as a a catalyst for the consumer duty because basically at the moment the consumer duty we're all having to to try and deliver with one hand side behind our backs because we can't do the communication. This really could put rocket boosters under the consumer duty because all of that stuff that we've got mapped in the background about we've deliberately designed these products for these kind of people, but you then can't help people understand why that's that's the product for them. That's the challenge. But I think also on that point around helping Hargreaves Landstand to flog more stuff, I genuinely think this will be very, very beneficial for the industry from a commercial perspective but it won't be a short-term thing. This is about driving satisfaction with existing products. And actually, I have to say, in almost every single conversation I've ever had on the topic of delivering more personalization, it's to help existing clients unlock more value from their existing products. And the idea being that if people are more confident using financial services products, there'll be more people want to use financial service products and they'll want to use it to a greater degree. So you're just kind of unlocking the existing value that we can deliver as an industry. So that's why I think it's really game changing, because there may also be instances here where someone comes to you for help, and you're actually able to confirm to them, actually, do you know what, what you're doing looks pretty sensible. That's kind of what a lot of clients want. Mm. They want to kind of, they want the autonomy. yeah. Yeah, they want to make their own decision. They just go, I'm doing this. Have I missed anything? And if firms are in a position to go, well, look, actually, you've told us this, this, and this about you. These products are designed exactly for people like you. It doesn't mean it's the right thing for you, but you are choosing the product that's kind of been designed for people like you. 
all of a sudden you can see how that drives confidence in that person's decision making. And I think Michael's right to call out, you know, we how you regulate for this is obviously the key point. And that's what we're all going to be, I was going to say over Christmas, we're not going to do it over Christmas, but in the new year, there's the whole industry is going to be sort of thinking through the challenges here to try and sort of help flesh that out for sure. That's incredibly important, but we just need to be really optimistic that actually you can just unlock so much value from for existing clients of the products that they're already using. And, you know, I reiterate, I really do think this is game-changing. So genuinely, this isn't like a gotcha question. I mean, but but I look at this and it feels like this is an intervention that is going to land most effectively with the large providers. Everything you've just talked about there kind of reinforces this sense. Like if you've got an existing book of customers, if you've got a big brand, if you've got trust of your customers already, I think that trust thing is going to be quite important, then this will play well. It doesn't feel like this concept of targeted support is either aimed at or will be most effective for small, innovative firms who are just coming into the marketplace. Is that is that fair? I think you're, you're right in the sense that it's probably most kind of handy, tangible for those firms that already have existing customers. And I definitely, you know, buy into Nathan's point that the kind of probably priority area where this is going to be helpful is about firms helping their existing customers. You know, often firms can see customers doing weird and wonderful things and they more often than not, and some do, you know, want to hold a mirror up to them and say, you know, dear Mrs. Miggins, are you sure about this? You know, 100% invested in Japanese equities or taking this much out of your pension at this level of withdrawal rate. Are you sure? And obviously there are some challenges around doing that, particularly around helping them if they then say, oh, okay, well, what should I be doing? So I definitely, you know, buy into Nathan's point that this is a big one here. And I think it's been accelerated the issue with regards to the consumer duty and the need to avoid foreseeable harm. You know, firms feel under pressure to to kind of intervene, stop this now in a way that perhaps they weren't previously. So I think there's, there's that. And obviously within the discussion paper, if we can call it that, you know, that's the first, you know, mutually exclusive scenario that or option that they talk about. And then they go on to talking about firms, you know, being able to kind of help people with new products and how pointy, whether it's to a range or, you know, a specific product that they can get in that space. I mean, I think even there, there's something for the smaller, more innovative startups. I suppose what they just don't have is the kind of ready flow of customers. They need to compete spend a bit more to get them in but I don't think it's you know off limits to them that this is really helpful they can probably do more for customers have greater throughput of customers that you know pitch up at the door and then end up purchasing a product through this but I think you know we'd be remiss to kind of suggest that it's kind of going to be equally as impactful for everyone. Yeah I was just going to say on that I mean I would say that's true in the short term because and I think you're right to call out the trust point. That's that's incredibly significant. But you do also have, at the moment, the big firms have the data because they have the clients. In the fullness of time, we are going to move to a, a more open data style of data sharing. And at that point, it would be not unreasonable to think that some of the smaller more agile providers can set up some great services to try and help people improve their decision making. The issue then comes down to how much do you trust those smaller providers? And that will, you know, those 
service providers. So that is going to be a challenge for sure. But I think actually everything, because this is about building a regime now that's fit for the future, it should allow firms still to innovate into that space. Thank you for that. I've got I've got a couple of questions around this. I mean, these are genuine, I, I don't know the answer to these, so I'm really interested to get your thoughts on it. So will people know that they've had this, in inverted commas, targeted support, right? Is this, is this a defined regulatory experience that they will know that they've had? Or will firms just say, oh, look, here's some information, or we're going to tell you about that, and what they're doing is giving sort of targeted support, but... You know, unlike where you take regulated advice, where you, know, you go through a process and you kind of know you've had regulated advice. How's it going to work here? So I think this is the biggest issue, actually. That whole signposting and how people understand is absolutely critical to the success of this moving forward. I think the most beneficial way to frame this is around liability. And that's liability of the firm. So what is the firm responsible for in terms of giving you if they give you advice versus if they provide targeted support or information only and what is the individual on the hook for because actually it's important that people understand when they use a service to either get targeted support or information that they realize they are responsible for the end decision making compared to if they go for advice where actually it's the recommendation of what to do is the responsibility of the advisor so I think you can frame those I think the framing needs to be around the responsibility and the split is between advice and non-advised services of which targeted support would be one. But there's, it's very clear in the paper that there needs to be disclosures around why you've made a targeted suggestion, i.e. what information are you taking into account? And to be, to be clear, that's what the industry has pushed for the whole way through is that they want to be able to disclose why they've made that targeted suggestion you know what information is it that's allowed them to kind of filter that down because if you don't have that you don't have the confidence in the proposal and I think there's a a really really important part in this is getting these disclosures right and I think this needs to be something that the FCA's behavioral team take on in terms of what is the most effective way of helping people understand the differences between this. We've seen them do this in some of their high-risk investment work already. And I think that it's no longer good enough for us to create the wording and think that that's acceptable. We need to understand what's most likely to resonate with people from a behavioural perspective and then make an intervention from that perspective. So understand what people get understand what behaviour it, it sort of drives in them. And then that's what the, the FCA should take forward in terms of ensuring firms are framing in the right way when they sort of describe these services. But broadly, I would say the split needs to be between advice and non-advised services. But when you're doing targeted support, you're also disclosing what information you've used to, to help narrow down the options. That's going to take a bit of work, isn't it? It is going to take a bit of work, not least because... The FCA doesn't just need to solve the issue for this new regime, targeted support, that the wider existing disclosure framework, the understanding between advisors and guys is already deeply, deeply kind of imperfect. And so in a way, what you want is, I've always called it a kind of vibrant marketplace for advice and guidance where people, you know, pitch up at the gate, you know, there's an aisle of guidance, there's an aisle of 
simplified advice and there'll be another aisle well not simplified advice an aisle of advice and then there's an aisle now of targeted support people can go along there see all the firms all of their wares you know compare the different options available not least in terms of what they are and what they aren't but also kind of on price and quality and yet that doesn't happen currently as Nathan said you know pharma got a little bit of the way there in terms of how advice and guidance were what were kind of described but then it kind of left it and I think maps now they have something that is kind of like the child of that and, it, and it's fine but people don't get this consumers don't get this and so I think this is the big issue here whilst the FCA is really clear they want people to understand what they're getting what the consequences are you know the the, the gap between what's understood currently and what will need to be understood for this to work well is, is quite significant. And I'm not kind of, you know, getting all negative on it. I'm just merely saying that, you know, more broadly, there's, there's a bigger problem to solve here that this is a part of. Can I just jump back in on that? Because I, I, I agree, this is, and this is why I think it's the biggest issue to solve for, right? But we've, we at Hargreaves Lansdown have been trialling a framing of advice versus guidance or essentially advice versus non-advice on our website and actually what it does do more than anything else is it increases the people who take advice because basically it means people know exactly the value of the service that they're getting and there's no uncertainty so rather than having advice as an option within the body of the text that people can go and sort of explore if they want to it frames the services side by side so at a glance people can see the difference and I think there's there's a lot of merit in taking this forward in terms of exploring this. This is obviously has to work across all firms, but I do think I do think there's a way that you can do this, which is far far better than what's currently done by industry based on the existing regulations. Okay, so look, we'll come on to simplified advice in a question for a second, but before we do, there's one other question I wanted to have around the targeted support thing, and I was quite surprised to see in the targeted support section they suddenly go off on a long riff talking about charging and whether there will be a specific charge for the targeted interventions. And then they start talking about cross-subsidization and saying, we're not going to reintroduce commission because of RDR and we've been there and we're, not, we're definitely, definitely not reintroducing commission. But we could, we could do some kind of built-in product charge that looks a lot like commission. And it's like, what is going on there? I mean, I guess my first question is, I didn't think firms would charge for targeted interventions. I can see, we'll come on to simplified advice in a minute, and maybe you'd charge for that. But for the targeted interventions, probably not. But then the FCA starts talking in the paper about charging for it. And then they start talking about how you're going to charge for it. And that just looked a bit weird to me. But Tom, on that, I suppose there's two things, isn't there? I mean, the first is that, depending upon who the firm is and what they're doing, their ability to choose whether to charge or not will be impacted. So if I'm a big vertically integrated firm, I've got a platform, I've got products, I'm already getting fees for those. So if I want to throw in any targeted support up front and not charge for it because I'm getting paid elsewhere, I can do. Mm. But going back to these, you know, the smaller, more innovative players that we talked about, let's say that they don't have their own products, you know, they've identified, accepted the limitations of what they do. They're great at doing some things, but maybe they're not the best in terms of their scale, their skills or expertise. So they don't want to be product providers. So they're going to get in some really excellent products from out there in the market, which is great. So then how do they charge for their kind of um, guidance services? And I suppose that's where the, the tension is. I mean, I don't read, I reread it again this morning. I don't read what they're saying here as alluding to the the first steps in reintroducing commission. I mean, they, they warn quite 
you know, significantly against that. But I don't know if that really squares the circle in terms of how all of the market can access targeted support and make it a viable business model because obviously those smaller firms won't be able to roll up their their activity within a, a product fee unless they're getting a the kickback from the third party, which I don't think the, the paper is saying is on the table. Nathan, interesting in your views. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really important to to ensure that there is a way to, to charge from an upfront perspective or a per member basis, or I suppose innovative charging models that aren't just favoring firms that already will recoup sort of the charges from their admin or sort of platform form fees. I think that's really, really important. I do envisage that a lot of firms will probably just uh, incorporate already. And the reason I think that is actually because, like I said before, I just think that firms are do- having to do a lot of the work that's expected to be done under targeted support already because of the consumer duty. So the extra work that's involved to actually go and deliver on this probably isn't quite as large as it might have been if we'd have looked at this two or three years ago, because there is already very clear articulation of journeys. There is already very clear articulation of target audiences for products, et cetera, et cetera. And I just think all you're doing is kind of now potentially facilitating firms to actually go ahead and and deliver that. So what you're doing is unlocking value in existing products. So I think to a certain extent, I'm kind of of the view that you just drive value for almost very little extra cost on businesses who are already having to comply with consumer duty. But that doesn't get away from the points that Michael raises, which is you can't just build a regime which kind of works for incumbent providers without kind of working out how it can be monetized by some some of the smaller providers, I guess. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, let's talk about the simplified advice. Can I, Tom, just before we come on to that, there's one thing that I think is really interesting. It's a bit bit of a point of detail on targeted support, but it's really interesting. They talk about, they sort of envisage this being digital delivery, which I think is fair enough. I think probably a lot of people are sort of assuming that that might be the case. But where they talk about interaction via help desks. I thought it was really interesting that they'd kind of almost gravitated straight away that it'd have to be delivered by people using scripts. And I just think that's really interesting because again, no human being has ever wanted to go and speak to someone on the other end of a phone who's talking to them from a script. So I think what you find already is that firms in the existing environment will use scripts where they are not comfortable of managing risk without the use of scripts. But I don't think it should be for the regulator to sort of dictate at this early stage, you can only deliver this if you're using scripts. There are ways to deliver this to deliver a better consumer experience. And it kind of needs to be on the, the firms to manage how they can deliver that. I guess you'll be making that point to them in your consultation response. For sure. Sorry, I just want to have my two penneth on that. Okay, I mean, I, I completely agree with you on this. I was shocked to see that in there. I kind of get it. It's kind of like a risk mitigation measure. But you kind of do worry about the kind of implications flowing from that. You know, if there's going to be these scripted outputs that are, you know, 60% successful because in 40% the help can't be given, and let's assume that help is all above board, what is the risk of allowing people some latitude to be more helpful, slightly more tailored, particularly, you know, when the duty, you know, is talking about, the importance of dealing with different customer groups, their needs, their preferences, particularly vulnerable customers mm-hmm. who probably don't want to be shoehorned into a digital journey. And so, I mean, hopefully there can be some kind of sense there 
giving firms enough latitude to do it right, you know, probably heavily scripted, but some ability to kind of tailor it and firms controlling for better. I mean, that's, you know, it's my concern that more generally, as we get into the detailed build, if you get lots of things that are a bit like that, you know, the bit around use of scripts, it kind of starts to undermine the kind of purpose and the kind of outcome sought from the regimes. I think that's what the industry will need to be careful to guard against as we move towards the detailed build, all these good intentions. At the moment, this stuff is so great because it's so green and all the firms are thinking about what, what it could be, what it might be to them. And obviously, once the detailed regs come in, or you know, the FCA is open, you know, do you want outcomes based or do you want detailed rules? But that's my concern that when you go into the detailed build, you get lumbered with a lot of kind of heavy baggage that undermines the app. Yes, to be fair to the FCA, sorry, sorry nothing. they're, they're no, kind of in terra incognita here a bit. I mean, they're boldly going off the edge of the map and they know there are dragons out there. So gravitating towards scripted solutions feels a bit safer, doesn't it? So yeah. I guess it's up to the industry to shine a light for them and, and lead them towards more innovative solutions. And just on that point as well, I think there's it's interesting that in the targeted support part of the consultation, the FCA sort of says... Here are a few examples of where we might look at targeted support being useful. Is there any other use cases we've we've missed or anything you'd add? Now, I think the risk is that you kind of create a paint-by-numbers scenario where they just create all the potential use cases they can think of and then anything that evolves or any other use cases then fall out of that and you can't deliver targeted support. And I think, again, for this to be to, to be really impactful... We need to have firms' ability to innovate into problems that they're seeing within their their client base, for example, that might not necessarily fall into that that roadmap of use cases. Interesting. So core investment advice was a failure, I think it's fair to say. So now they've come up with simplified advice, which is like core investment advice, but bigger and better and bolder. Is it going to work? This is a really good one. And I'm going to go back before I go forward, if you'll allow me that, Tom. So... You know, before we were talking about targeted support and we were talking about the inputs and we were talking about the potential outputs. And I think when some firms talk about this, you know, they say, I've got this customer, they've got X product. I don't think it's right for them. I think they should be in Y product. And you think, okay, fair enough. That's probably right. But obviously that's from the perspective of what that firm knows about the customer, which will be a subset of their, you know, entire situation. And I suppose the question for me here is, how do you get the tension right between when targeted support is good and is right and when simplified advice would be better? And, and that's the most interesting bit when I look at the proposers, because I think to make the market work well, the two need to be in a kind of dynamic tension with each other. You know, you want people to be able to give targeted support where it's right. But I suppose in order for them to avoid foreseeable harm, you also want firms to recognise, actually, for this need or for this customer, it's a bit more complicated than that. And perhaps, I mean, we don't know what this regime will be, perhaps targeted support can cover the bases and get the outputs. But perhaps for certain customers, what they want, what they need is a more specific, more granular solution that takes into consideration more of their needs and circumstances. And so th- this is the interesting bit, I think, for me about simplified advice and target support, where one ends and where the other begins. Because I think simplified advice does really have a key part to play in the eventual solution set, sitting between targeted support and more holistic forms of advice. And yet at the moment, 
I'm sensing, you know, just from discussions, maybe a slight negativity about simplified advice, lots and lots of enthusiasm about targeted support. And I kind of worry that targeted support might end up having a kind of gravitational pull that ends up kind of drawing in any customer within this kind of, you know, wealth bracket, need bracket towards it, even when a personal recommendation might be better for them. So that's just my opening salvo on this. I mean, I, I'm definitely for it, but I think it's going to need to kind of go some to make the, the sector kind of really buy into it. Is there a risk that you end up with quite a, a narrow gap, a bit of needle, threading a needle between targeted support on one side and holistic advice on the other? Isn't there a risk that either simplified advice just won't have room to operate or that yeah. it will just end up undermining full holistic advice? I don't think it's ever going to undermine holistic advice. That's doing something much, much different. You know, it's broad. It's looking at a greater number of your needs. It's prioritising them. It's coming up with some, you know, carefully calibrated solution, we hope. Whereas, you know, simple advice, it, it's kind of narrow. You know, it's looking to give you a, a personal recommendation within that narrow need, accepting that it won't go further. And again, there are some disadvantages to that, which the customer hopefully accepts and goes in eyes open. So I don't think the issue is necessarily holistic advice. Whether you've got targeted support or simplified advice working well, they are incubating customers' wealth ahead of them getting enough or having complexity of need that they then naturally flow on to kind of forms of more holistic advice. Uh, my concern is more between targeted support and simplified advice and, and simplified advice that's not having a role. Sorry, Nathan. Yeah, I think actually, Tom, you've hit the nail on the head with that question because I'm I, that's I think you risk this getting quite cluttered. So I've got no problem with simplified advice if it genuinely serves a purpose, which the other areas can't. And I think my starting point in this is advice is an incredibly, incredibly valuable service. It's valued highly by the people that use it. Currently, our problem is not enough people have access to that. Partly that's cost, but that's not the only reason. I think actually almost equally as big a reason is the information asymmetry that we have. So basically people don't, it's quite a big leap of faith to people for people to go from, I don't really know much to all of a sudden, I'm going to trust you entirely with all of these decisions to help me make all of these decisions. So we just need to be very careful about understanding what the barriers are to getting advice fully. And also we need to recognise as an industry that the cost of advice is almost certainly going to fall as soon as you get better digitalization of services and improvements to access of information. For example, when we get sort of improvements in open finance, open banking, et cetera, et cetera, when that's more available from a tech perspective, but also when it's more trusted by individuals to kind of open up that data to, to solve a use case. So I think that kind of is my starting point that we'd be very, very wary about calling something advice and diluting it down, the quality, because actually I think we've got a great product already in advice. We just need to sort of work out how to make it more accessible. And I think a lot of the accessibility comes from, and to Michael's point, that incubation that you would get under targeted support. So I'm fairly relaxed about having simplified advice, but what I don't know is, and I don't think anyone knows, is what role it plays at the moment. And the reason no one can really know that is because we don't know how impactful targeted support might be. So I, I wonder whether there's a route here where targeted support gets introduced and then you see whether there is still a gap in support left. Because at the moment, we're hypothesising that there might be 
But actually, what if this is as game-changing as lots of people think it might be, you could find, and I would certainly expect that, you get more people making more improved decisions under targeted support, but you get more people able to go and use advice when they think it's right for them. Can I jump in there, Tom? Because, you know, without people, you know, worrying this is a big love in between, that's the, I, I kind of, I kind of not deeply disagree, but I, I very much disagree with Nathan there. I mean, first off, this stuff exists already. So under suitability, it can be holistic, but it doesn't have to be. You know, the suitability standards, they're qualified by the nature and extent of the service. And so all these firms out there currently, you know, giving advice on new money into an ISA, new money into a pension, they're already giving a firm of, you know, simplified advice. We call it streamlined advice. And I agree all these names are unhelpful, you know, particularly when it comes to consumer understanding. So this stuff exists already. The, the problem and the challenge is that for that advice, which is less complex, it is likely to be on lower investment fights, at lower investment amounts even. It gets kind of lumbered, not the best term, but it gets lumbered with a regulatory framework which was designed at the point of RDR for forms of more holistic advice. So, you know, if I'm giving you advice on new money to an ISA versus, you know, a complex appraisal of all of your financial needs, I need to have the same qualifications and so on and so forth. And so it's probably unsurprising that, you know, many firms, they just can't make it work. Now, I think bits of streamlined, simplified advice need to be a kind of viable proposition for firms. And as Nathan said, once you get access to greater data, why wouldn't you have something that can take all of that in and give you a pinpointed recommendation on what you need? I mean, in a way, I kind of wonder whether you know, once open finance happens, will it, you know, affect the potential of, of targeted support? Because all of a sudden, rather than just having the data that you know about your customer with your product on your platform, you suddenly have access to all of their data. So it gets probably more difficult for you to kind of give targeted support, or at least simplified advice is a kind of compelling alternative. So I think this needs to work. It needs to be a kind of dynamic compelling alternative to targeted support so that they both work really, really well and that hopefully firms can choose the right option. And as they move up the chain, they get a graduated regulatory framework that ups the standards, but not too much, rather than having an enormous cliff edge whereby the only types of advice that people ever get are probably holistic advice and everyone else is getting targeted support even when there's something in the middle. So that's my kind of impassioned um, cry for this to, to work. That's so what we're here for. Go on, I was, Nathan. I was going to say that I think the issue is, I don't disagree in, in theory, the issue is the step up in value that's delivered to the consumer. And the problem is we can't know that because the value is the perception of the consumer themselves. So part of the reason that why Hargreaves Lansdowne wasn't supportive of the core investment advice proposal is that irrespective of some of the other commercial constraints, when you see what's the difference between what we could give on the guidance side for free and what we could give when we go into the simplified advice charge where you have to charge a fee, the value add on top really wasn't that much. And so I think it's you need a big step up in value between targeted support and simplified advice to make that work. So, I, I mean, I know that there's simplified advice regimes that are out there already. I guess my starting point is how do you amplify those? How do you make those more successful would probably be the way that we need to think about that as an industry. And so that's why I found it quite curious that we know that there are simplified advice models already for 
at retirement decision making, yet it's ruled out it's of this. Excluded that, yeah. Exactly. And I think one of the findings that the FCA have had before, and I think one of the things that underpins the desire for simplified advice is this thought that you need to be able to speak to a human being. That's very, very important for people to get confidence when they make decisions. I couldn't agree more, particularly when there's difficult decisions. I just don't think that that necessarily has to be an advisor that's delivering that conversation. That can be that you've got someone who's very, very well-trained in a guidance environment who's delivering that help and support. Now, that might not be the case, but that's, I think we should think about how you make the human being more central to the proposition and how you can deliver that at scale rather than necessarily assuming that that, because people want, a lot of people will want in, in difficult, challenging circumstances, the ability to speak to someone as well, that that has to be an advisor. No, 100%. And I don't think it has to be. I mean, my idea is, you know, you make the channels kind of delivery method neutral and you know if people want and need a bit of personalized guidance you know targeted support through a person speak to them go for it but if you know what they want and need is you know a bit of streamlined advice i think for me it'll come down to when the next iteration of this comes out you'll see potentially where the fca seeks to kind of put limits on targeted support you know so how broad what is that limited information that you're going to be able to look at so if it is quite limited you know and it's not the customer's nth degree of detail about their wider holdings then you'll see i think the difference between where targeted support can go and it can do a lot don't get me wrong and then where you know an alternative such as you know simplified device will work and i think the reason why there needs to be some development to the regime that we have currently is you know i i do buy the idea that a highly qualified you know level four advisor is a kind of precious commodity that's you know earning their keep when they're advising someone on you know looking at their broader wealth and you know building a, a financial plan for their retirement or advice in retirement but if if it is advice on quite a narrow need you know they've ruled out someone's debt they've got an emergency fund it's about investing a bit of money into a stocks and shares ISA you know it, I think it's right to say it, is it proportionate for them to have the same qualifications as those other advisors and it probably isn't and I think if you can get that right and then also if the FCA can give away something on suitability I mean this is the other key bit I think for me there's two angles there's the can it work commercially and I think you know how you structure the TNC regime for advisor qualifications is key and then the next bit is you know firms say they want certainty all of the previous approaches in this space have failed with the larger firms, with the, the, the kind of more significant risk appetites because the FCA was never willing to kind of lay its card on the table and say, you know, the 17 or six suitability considerations for this type of advice is as follows. There's a bit about that in the discussion paper. They talk about whether, you know, firms want detailed rules and it'd be interesting to see what firms come back with on on that. And I guess if I were the FCA, I'd be really keen to hear from firms, look, here are the trade-offs. We've raised the ceiling for simplified advice up to £85,000, so you get to deal with larger sums of money. Here are the kind of scenarios. We've diluted the training and competence regime, so you don't need such an expensive advisor to deliver it. Is this going to work for you commercially? Are you as a business going to want to, to invest in this as a proposition alongside the other stuff that you already do? Because when they asked that question previously on the core advice stuff, everybody came back and said, no, thanks. So I think for me, 
from the FCA's point of view, that's the question I'd want back from the industry. Is like, does this work for you? Is this commercially viable? This is why I think there might be a step forward where you do the thinking on simplified advice now, you bring in targeted support, and then you work out where simplified advice sits in between the two when you've got to a position where you know how big the gap is following that. I think that's that's kind of my concern, is almost that you end up clustering the landscape. We're not really sure how to solve for simplified advice, which is why there's some, I guess, some uncertainty about how to sort of proceed. I haven't got anything against simplified advice. I think it could be, could be impactful, but I've always looked at it and gone, I'm not quite sure how you narrow the liability. I'm not sure, quite sure how you can deliver it. So kind of good in theory, but it's to your point, Tom, practically... How's it delivered and does it make sense commercially to deliver it, I think is the, the key element. Okay, look, let's move on. There's a couple of other things I wanted to pick up on before we wrap up. So they asked questions around whether any changes are needed to the financial services compensation scheme and whether there are any issues around electronic communications, privacy and electronic communications regulations. And And it felt like those were just kind of, we're just checking, are there any issues here? But I've been interested in, do, do either of you have any thoughts on that on those two points? I mean, there was a bit of an afterthought at the end of the paper, but are there any are there any things there worth picking up? I think there there is great clarity that can be delivered around there. Some of the problems are around in the workplace pension environment, where essentially the communication no one's really signed up for that communication because they've never opened up the product. Quite difficult causes firms a lot of problems. And the other thing which is difficult is sorry before you go on going forward i mean you've got existing book problems but going forward could you address that by a simple modification to the auto-enrollment process for example uh so i think this the problem is it's to do with what's possible i mean ultimately for you to be inert you haven't really opted into that communication strategy is my understanding of the the challenge around that so it might not be within the gift of the from the auto-enrollment side mm-hmm. to make that change. I think this is something which is being actively worked on behind the scenes by regulators on the on the pension side. I also think that the other issue is the difference between a marketing and a servicing communication and where the two end. And I think that's quite important for delivery of targeted support. If you're kind of suggesting an alternative solution because of what you see and might even be suggest- suggesting advice is that a marketing communication is it a servicing communication what happens if someone's opted out of marketing i think there's something there which probably needs to be addressed so definitely there are boundaries with the existing regulation but exactly how possible it is to be solved because i think it's it spans regulators is going to be a bit of a challenge okay Michael, did you want to add anything to that? No, not not too much, other than that they need to kind of square that circle. You know, the idea that you want to help customers ongoing, but you aren't able to, you know, not flog them more stuff, but like intervene to help them make good decisions. And I realise there's a kind of continuum, and at one point one will become another. But yeah, I think they just need to fix that because, you know, and there's been movements to this already, you know, when the FCA published the actions around savings accounts that they attempted to provide some clarification on how firms could communicate with customers in, you know, lower interest paying accounts, you know, to alert them to alternatives. So I think, as Nathan said, there's still some more to be done there to make sure those different bits of regulation don't get in the way of each other. Okay, so before we wrap up, and I want to finish with what happens next, there was one other area 
area that just caught my eye, which is where they talk about pension schemes. And they talk particularly about occupational pension schemes. They say rights under occupational pension schemes are not investments for the purposes of the advising on investments activity under Article 53 of the Regulated Activities Order, as you well know. So the boundary for investment advice is not relevant to trustees of occupational pension schemes when they're providing support to members of their occupational pension scheme about the options available to members solely under their scheme. Fine. So over in DWP land, they're currently having a a whale of a time looking at what options should be available to members and how they help members transition from work into retirement. And that's going to include default retirement strategies and helping people transition from accumulation to decumulation and essentially flogging them a decumulation product. And here's the FCA saying, well, that's all out with our boundary. There's nothing to do with us. Don't talk to us about that. Is there an issue here? Is there a problem, with, particularly with members of master trusts, effectively falling through the regulatory cracks? I mean, there is. This is an issue. I think there's quite a lot of concern about sort of t- almost two-speed regulations sitting across occupational schemes and contract-based schemes. I think the risks, what you, probably what the industry needs to not get too obsessed about is just ensuring that there's complete and utter alignment on every single point. A case in point being the retirement pathways that were introduced on the contract-based side for, for income drawdown, which I, I think when you look at some of the later work that the FCA has done on non-workplace pension defaults, it's clear that they've understood how challenging some of that was in terms of delivery and client comprehension and learned from that and then iterated. So why would you insist that a non-iterated version was brought in, in you know, that was suboptimal and you've made learnings from? Why would you kind of force that on, on another set of the, of the market that are trying to help people? So I, I, it's, it, I think it's more challenging than just saying everything should be equal, if I'm honest. But they... It does look like an area which needs to be to be investigated further because if you are pointing off to a single solution at the point of retirement, that does look a bit like advice at that point in time. And it wouldn't be necessarily an in-house product, if that makes sense. So I think there's a slight difference if you're trying to maximise the value from your existing arrangement versus pushing someone out to another product because you don't offer that arrangement. I do think those are slightly different. I mean, more broadly on the pension side, I I just think that there needs to be something whereby the architecture is all centred around encouraging people to consolidate their pensions prior to retirement. It's not really about making sure every single pension scheme has every single option. They probably should have that. But actually, the more important thing is that people consolidate and they haven't got, they're not managing umpteen different pensions into retirement. We just need fewer pensions. Any thoughts on that, Michael? I don't have a thought on that. I don't feel allowed me to have one other thought. Please. It's around something that kind of Nathan's brought up before, I think you mentioned too. It's about the kind of timeline for next steps yeah. and the kind of choreography of how these three different proposals. And remember, there could be fourths and fifths because the FCA asks about other things not in there that it should consider as well. How they're all taken forward, uh, and I don't have the answer here, it's just that observation that they are all interconnected. You know, the guidance that you can give on being more helpful, you know, proposal one, will be impacted by any new targeted support regime. And then what you do and don't do on simplified advice will be affected by 
again, the output from the target support regime. So there's some interesting bits there. And I think at the next stage, once all the kind of consultation feedback has come in, you know, we might see some bits going quicker than others so that they can make sure that that fit is right. I suppose the bit for me is that given those permutations, you know, when is any of this going to actually be in place? I, I kind of worry a bit that they're in a really great position now. We've got a really hopefully bright future on the horizon might be a couple of years before anything bears fruit and that's before a kind of any change of government although my sense is that you know you know the labor kind of government you know this is fairly you know non-partisan isn't it in terms of what it's trying to do here but you know you never know so consultation closes on 28th of february and and as you've pointed out michael this is quite a green paper this is quite a discussion paper there's quite a lot of open questions here so We'd then expect to hear something back on this through the course of 2024. Is that a reasonable expectation for the industry? Yeah, probably. I suppose for me then it's, you know, how many elements, next steps are consultation paper with detailed rules? You know, are they going to need to do more discussion? And I think at the, at the moment we just don't know. So, yeah, <laughs> we'll see. That's probably a good place to leave it for now. Thank you both. It's been really good to talk to you. We'll probably be doing this again in the not-too-distant future, but until then, thanks very much. Thanks. Merry Christmas, both. Yeah, Merry Christmas. So there you go. We'll definitely be returning to this subject through 2024. So if you have any questions or comments, do get in touch. And as usual, please like, subscribe, leave positive reviews, and tell your friends. Thanks for listening.